This is the Gospel for Life, where we have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. Around the table today is Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Jonathan Van Hoogen from Dayspring United Reformed Church, Vinnie Hanke from Valley Life Community Church, and Ryan Hemphill from Treasure Valley Reformed Presbyterian Church. To catch earlier broadcasts, just search The Gospel for Life wherever you subscribe. To find out more about this ministry and about our annual conference, go to ReformationBoise.com. Welcome back to The Gospel for Life. We have not plugged the conference in a little while, so you're going to get the token plug right now. It's not a token plug. We are extremely excited about what's coming September 22nd and 23rd. And... I checked the Broncos football schedule, and the good news is there's not an, a home game that weekend. It's actually they have a Friday game away. So unless you're planning on going to San Diego to watch that game, you can join us instead. At a the tear Re- just streamed down my cheek. <laughs> <laughs> because you wanted it to be a home game? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so sad that the Broncos are going to be out of town. It just it breaks me up. It does break him up. But don't worry, we're here to console him, and we're consoling him with this good news, that on September 22nd and 23rd, we are having the Reformation Boise Conference at a new location at the Ambrose School, and our speakers are Dr. Jonathan Gibson and Dr. Miles Van Pelt. We're excited about the theme, God to Us, and really what they're doing is looking at the God of covenant, the God of promise, the God that keeps those promises, and how that theme permeates God's word. And yeah, I read Dr. John uh, Gibson almost every day because he has this great devotional, Be Thou My Vision, and mm-hmm. it's a, like a personal liturgy. Man, that's so good. What a, you, I'm sure you have some of those books. I do. Conference. We have tons of those books that are going to be available. I may have a problem mm-hmm. with books, and so there will not be a shortage of books at the conference this year. His name's Russ, and he likes to buy books. Yes, yes. And then Miles Van Pell, isn't he like a CrossFit? Like, is he going to have like a, a you know, fights out in the parking lot during the intermission and stuff like that. I can say this without hesitation <laughs> that this He's is the, the most athletic <laughs> theologian we will ever have at a Reformation Boise conference. Um, then he's going to fight him out in the parking lot. Yes, yes. <laughs> if he says the wrong thing about my dog, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and on that, there is no segue. There no, is no, no segue that exists that no. get us out of this. Even our producer would say that we cannot, even if we had all of the Avengers come, we could not (laughs) get out of this mess. But we are talking about sin, and what we have been looking at in the last couple days is just the mechanisms, really, of sin, Um, how sin um, seeks to deceive and have believers live a defeated Christian life. And so we're trying to get a sense of how the enemy works so that we know how to respond to that work. And actually, this is where I think C.S. Lewis was masterful in his screw tape letters. Yeah. Really trying to, to get into that mindset of how, do, how does temptation work? How does has the work of the devil work? So if you have not read that, I, I, it's a good read. It, it really helped just refine my thinking on the work of of the devil in in hearts and lives of of believers. But today we want to look at really three things. How 
can a believer protect himself from the the sin, the seed of sin? And really, it begins in the mind. And so the first one is that we meditate on God with God. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, there are a number of ways in which that could manifest itself. But as we're talking about sin sin and sinfulness, I think that one of the things that we have to recognize is we have we are you know I think John Owen says said it on his deathbed I am a great sinner and he is a great savior mm. and Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book Life Together says it is the grace of the gospel which is so hard for the pious to understand that it confronts us with the truth and says you're a sinner you're a great desperate sinner now come as a, the sinner that you are to the god who loves you he wants you as you are he doesn't want anything from you a sacrifice a work he wants you alone and he says give me your heart yeah i think th- this is this is contemplation and, and meditating on who God is, not just as we talked about off air, but what he's done for us, which is magnificent in and of itself, but just simply the person of God. Mm-hmm. And so allowing that, his characteristics, his, uh, his nature to, to fill you up, to get into your mind and heart like the latest Taylor Swift lyric and just get in you. <laughs> Sorry. We're doing that. <laughs> that was for you, Andrew. That was for our producer. That Sorry. is for our producer. But the point remains, meditating yes. on the personhood of who God is. I think this is why catechisms are so helpful because oftentimes when I go to pray, I feel like, okay, well, where where are my bearings at? And yeah. the fourth catechism question, the shorter catechism, you know, asks, who is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. If you were to just take one of those attributes at a time and speak to God about who God is, mm-hmm. have verses, you know, uh, mm-hmm. on the eternal one, before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Not only, not only does God delight in having his attributes prayed back to him, but our heart delights because that's what our heart was made for. Mm-hmm. Right. This is where I think going through the Psalms is, is, is such a helpful biblical practice um, because you, you get to see God for who he is. Um, and there are certain sections of the psalm that really put the character of God on display before before the reader. And so read a psalm and say, what, what did I learn about God from this passage? Yeah. Genesis 39 tells us about that great temptation that Joseph has in the house of Potiphar. You know, his, Potiphar's wife is uh, trying to seduce him. And it is the thought of God that keeps him from that sin. He, he, he says in Genesis 39, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And even though she speaks to Joseph day after day, he's not going to listen to her or lie beside her or to be with her because he realizes this would be a great wickedness and a sin against God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think when you, when you meditate on the magnitude and greatness of God, everything else comes into perspective. I think of the vision of Isaiah 6 where Isaiah is confronted with the image of God in the temple, and he is just immediately face down and aware of all uh, of his sinfulness. And the way that this fights against sinfulness is that um, when we have a, a taste of the infinite God, sin sin is, you know, C.S. Lewis's quote, it's making mud pies in the slum, and, mm-hmm. and God is the holiday at the sea. If you need help with this, there are some shorter books on God's attributes that are very helpful. A.W. Pink, The Attributes of God, mm-hmm. um, 
Stephen Charnock and Tozer's Holiness of God. Knowledge of the Holy. Knowledge of the Holy. That's um, the title. And then you, any just good systematic theology has a section that just works through the attributes of God. Yeah, we did. Terry, uh, Terry we did Johnson a does that's in our podcast on the attributes, attributes of God. God. Terry Johnson has a new book on the attributes of God that is good. Um, so there, there's just books out there. Sharnock is the classic. Um, it's just been republished in a in a beautiful, be, beautiful and better format. Yeah. Um, so that's a little bit, but that is that's a commitment. That is two massive volumes. So it's not a bad investment, um, but that's just going to take a little bit more commitment. The second thing is to meditate on the word in the word. So what does that mean? Well, on the word, we're talking about. Christ himself, the, the word that was made flesh and dwelt among us. We're talking about in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Um, so meditating on the word and the place wh- where we learn about that. You know, years ago there was those little bracelets that sit with the things, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Well, the only way you're going to meditate on what the word would do is to meditate in his word, the Bible, to understand that. Mm-hmm. And he's found everywhere, mm-hmm. not not just in the four Gospels, but in all of the Old Testament. You just mentioned uh, Joseph a few minutes ago. Joseph was one of the most wonderful types of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. You, you can see it in his life, in the narrative of the story. Uh, he's on every page. And really what you're looking for is you want to read the Word and say, show me the beauty and glory of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And you can see that, as Josh was saying, in, in every aspect, in all these different stories of, of, of the scriptures, you're saying, what am I learning about the beauty and glory of the person and work of Jesus Christ? And once again, there are some great books on this, um, The Glory of Christ, Owen's book. Jesus on Every Page. Jesus Isn't on Every David Page. David Murray. David Murray. You've got The Glory of Christ by R.C. Sproul. So there's just some great books out there to, to just – Center your thoughts on who Jesus Christ the is. The Bible. The Bible. <laughs> and that's yeah. really where you want to be is is every passage say, what is this teaching me about God? What is this pe- passage teaching me about the, the person and work of Jesus Christ? Yeah. yeah Colossians 3.16, Paul uh, says, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. This is where I think um, Thomas Chalmers is so vitally important. Um, you cannot dr- drive out lesser affections unless you have a greater affection that drives them out. Yeah. The expulsive power of a, of, of a new affection. And so really these first two things about meditating on God, meditating on Jesus Christ, is really about creating a greater affection within you mm-hmm. to drive out the lesser affections, with the, which is what sin and temptation is. Yeah. Um, they are affections. They're just lesser. They're, they're not worthy compared to the great affection of of God and 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 manifested in in the person work of Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. Yeah. The third is to meditate on yourself in the word and with God. And that one might might strike people and say, "Wait, what? Meditate on self? That you that cannot be true." How can it be true? I'm maintaining that it is. Well, the psalmist in Psalm 139, uh, you know, as he Talks after he's meditated on the fact that he can't go anywhere without God being present. You know, he's everywhere present. He comes to the conclusion, and then he asks God to search himself. He says, search me, O God, 
and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So he's after he's focused on God, he's asking God to focus on himself and, and show him his sin. Yeah, Calvin said in the opening of the Institutes, wisdom is found uh, to be true and solid wisdom that consists of knowledge of God and of ourselves. And so what we're looking is not just self-discovery, but discovering who we are in light of who God is. Yeah. And the New Testament does this over and over and over again. Uh, in all of the epistles, the goal of the apostle is to give a, a mirror image of who you are and then what Christ has done. I mean, he does it in Ephesians 2. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Paul wants us to think about what that means, mm-hmm. to be dead. And then he immediately goes to what Christ has done. Mm-hmm. But if you don't get the first part, you know, Spurgeon said, you might have said this a couple of days ago, um, he who thinks lightly of his sin thinks lightly of the Savior. If you think that you're a, a fairly decent person, then Christ you know, I mean, he might have helped us out a little bit, but he didn't rescue us from eternal hell. I thought Vinny was going to to say how Calvin opens up his institutes, and really Calvin starts his institutes by saying, you need a knowledge of self and you need a knowledge of God. Which one should we start with doesn't matter, because you need both. And so he started with a knowledge of God, but he was openly admitting right away but equally important is the knowledge of self, yeah. that both are, are essential. And so really what this is saying is, God, take the light of, of, of your word and shine it into all of the nooks and crannies of my life and expose, expose me not for shame, but for freedom, freedom in Christ, to really be driven towards the Savior. And we'll explore some of this again tomorrow. We'll see you then.